you for joining us today at Renovatus, a church for people under renovation. If you have a prayer need, would like to talk with a pastor, or want to share how this message impacts you, we would love to hear from you. Email us at info at renovatuschurch.com. If you desire to support us in the work we are doing for the kingdom of God in Charlotte, you can give online at renovatuschurch.com. We hope you are truly blessed by today's message. Psalm 127. A song of ascents of Solomon. It's not up there. It's in your Bibles if you're using them. That is not an editorial note from your Bible publisher. Um, that is actually part of the heading of this psalm. A song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the, guards, the guard keeps watch in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies at the gate. Now, as many of you know, and I hate to keep making a point of it, we are living in very divisive times. In fact, since the first week of November, the battle lines have been drawn and the trenches have been occupied. Everyone has a side. And if you don't have one, you will be assigned one by those who think you have a side. We no longer converse about it, we shout about it. We demean those who disagree with us and we pull Jesus into our arguments to ensure that God is on our side of the argument. There is this sense that our mutual joy and benefit hinges upon us Convincing those who disagree with us that we are right and they must repent and believe like us. And this debate since the 1st of November has taken on new tones each day. With increasing passion and fervor by all of those involved. And in case you've been living in a cave so far this season, I'm of course talking about the division created by those who think we should be singing Christmas songs already, <laughs> even though Thanksgiving isn't even over. <laughs> I'm talking about the hateful rhetoric <laughs> created by those who support Christmas music being played before we've even had a chance to scarf down our mother's Thanksgiving dressing. Of course, then there are those radicals on the far ends of the argument who contend that not only should we be playing Christmas music right now, 
we should already have our Christmas trees up. We should already have our houses decorated. And see, I thought about seeing if anyone had done that, but I'm not going to do that because you might get crucified in this place, right? You see, not only do these Christmas justice warriors make those Thanksgiving conservatives among us feel judged, but they make those of us who haven't even started buying Christmas gifts yet feel unworthy to be in their presence. Uh, no, seriously, I am actually one of those that does like to uh, play Christmas mu music as soon as it gets cold. Um, the other day, one of my daughters, I, sometimes it's hard for me to tell which one is singing. I heard one of them upstairs singing a Christmas song. Was it you, Olivia? Okay, yeah. Um, I'm one of those that, that would do it early. However, my wife is a Thanksgiving purist. Yeah. Apparently, she has support. Thank you. And so, as a result, our family has somewhat of a Christmas ritual. Um, every Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving, we generally travel back from visiting our family in Troy, and it's on our ride back that we are permitted to listen to Christmas music for the first time. It's something I actually look forward to every year. As soon as Thanksgiving is over, I'm already thinking I get to listen to Christmas music on the ride home. Because I love it, by the way. I don't care how much it repeats. You need to know that about me. I don't hate it at all. Um, on the way back to our house, we tend to blare it on the radio, secular and religious. We... <laughs> all right, who's the Pharisee? <laughs> and the climax to this ritual is that as soon as we get back from traveling... If time allows, we buy a Christmas tree, a natural Christmas tree that day. Sometimes if it's late, we have to go the next morning. And as soon as we get home, we have the Christmas tree up and decorated by the end of Thanksgiving week. Now, this was an especially meaningful ritual when we lived in the mountains, because our drive to the mountains was about three hours. Now, it's not, it's like an hour and a half now, but then it was three to three and a half hours. With small children, it was four and four and a half hours. Thanks, girls. <laughs> I won't tell you how long it was with a pregnant wife. So we would drive for three hours and we would get nice and full of all the Christmas cheer we could handle. But those drives were all made in different circumstances. Sometimes those Christmas tunes felt more joyful than other times. I remember one trip I made back home. By the way, I had a stomach virus this week. I mean, I was a baby, man. It wiped me out. I only have one about once every 10 years, so I'm good for the next decade, I hope. But I remember one trip we made after Thanksgiving that I had actually got a stomach virus over Thanksgiving holiday. We made the trip a little earlier. We played the music, but I was sick the whole time. I had a stomach virus. We made lots of stops, lots of very uncomfortable, yucky stops. One time we had a sick child with a high fever in the back seat who cried louder than the Christmas music played the entire drive. One time on this drive, while the songs were blaring, we drove through a snowstorm and returned to our new home in a foot of snow with no food in the house or fuel in our backup heaters. 
and I didn't even have a four-wheel drive yet. It was an anxiety-ridden trip back home. Then there were those trips back home after Thanksgiving where the holiday was surreal. Like the Thanksgiving after my dad had a stroke and couldn't walk anymore. Or the Thanksgiving, the first Thanksgiving we had without my granny at the table. Each year, our song of ascents up the mountains of North Carolina took on new meaning and new reflections. Each time, they felt different. Same songs, different emotions. Yet, they pointed us towards something. Sometimes, they pointed us towards the hope and excitement of the season ahead. Other times... They just reminded us that Christmas would be different that year. That we would sing the songs and hear the songs with a different group of people and with a different feeling around the tree. Now our reading this morning, one of the most important details of our reading this morning is actually in the introduction. That this psalm is a psalm of ascent. ascent. Now psalms, psalms or songs of ascent were songs that were sang when the Israelites would travel back to Jerusalem for holidays. They were, there are 15 of them, Psalm 120 to 134, and they served as the songbook for pilgrimages to Jerusalem. Not just to Jerusalem, but specifically they were, they were sung as they ascended Mount Zion, oftentimes to go to the temple where they would gather and celebrate Similar holidays, holidays like holidays of Thanksgiving, bringing their first fruits, entering his gates with Thanksgiving and his courts with praise. These songs were sang, they were known by the community, they were passed down from generation to generation, and they were holiday songs in the, mo- in the minds of most ancient Israelites. A second detail of this psalm given in the heading is that this particular song of ascent is credited to King Solomon, which means that this particular song, when the word like, unless the Lord builds the house is used, it most likely refers to the temple, since it emerges during the time of the building of the temple and would have been sung in subsequent generations after Solomon had erected his Beautiful, beautiful edifice. But with it being a song of ascent that would be sung as they ascended Mount Zion and approached the temple, it means that this song was sung in different seasons in the life of Israel. There were times when they might have sung this song and there was no temple. There are times they might have sang this song and the temple might have been in ruins. There are even times they didn't sing this song as they climbed Mount Zion, but they might have sang it during the holidays in their synagogues in Babylon or in Assyria, in a foreign land, a time when Mount Zion could not be ascended. And then there are times they probably sang it while the temple was under construction. There are times they probably ascended Mount Zion where the temple 
and the walls were being rebuilt. This song is about the house and about the city and about the heritage, the generations, the children of the people, their offspring. But there were times when they sang this song when the continued life of all three of those things were in question. Some have classified this particular psalm as a wisdom psalm, citing its focus on work ethic and God's involvement with human endeavors. Some feel like this kind of uh, mention of work ethic and God's involvement with our hands and what we do places this psalm more in line with the Proverbs and with Ecclesiastes and the wisdom tradition more than it does with the Psalms. But the Psalms are the heart of the Bible. The Psalms is where you go to get all the feels, right? Anger, sadness, joy, hope, despair. All of these emotions are found in the Psalms. The Psalms run the gamut of human emotions because they are both God's words to us and our words to God. Luke Powery calls the Psalms the literary mirrors of the human soul. And so I think it steals the wonder away from this reading to classify it only as a piece of wisdom about our work. No. The psalm is saying something more. The psalm is saying something about the feelings we carry about our work. And its performances as a holiday song in Israel's history says something about the different ways we may think about our work and God's role in it through the different seasons of our lives. The enjoining of work with worship in this psalm calls our minds to pay attention to the disconnect we often make between what happens on Sunday morning and what we're going to do the rest of the week. You see, every Sunday we gather here and we do a liturgy of remembrance. Everything we're doing this morning is an attempt to get us to remember what God is doing and what God has done in our lives. Every Sunday during worship, we reorient our lives by placing our gaze back on God and God's role in our life. But oftentimes, we return to work on Monday and succumb to our Western ideals of rugged individualism. And isn't that our work or that our individuality are in error? It is our belief that our lives and our own providence depend solely on us and what we can accomplish. And so we set about our week, rising early, going to bed late, and eating the bread of anxious toil. A temptation, by the way, that God warns his people of when they came out of Egypt in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 7. And God told them, remember the Lord your God. 
For it is He who gives you the power to get wealth. You see, this idea that it's all about us and our work and our providence is all about what we can accomplish becomes problematic when our work isn't enough. What happens when it's not enough and it's all about us? What happens when what we build falls apart? Or what happens when what we have laid our hands to is no longer necessary anymore? Because as Thomas Parker once wrote, human history offers no encouragement to those who assume the world they have built is under their control. It is, as almost, it is almost as if we believe that God somehow stopped working after initial creation and then turned the whole thing over to us. But this psalm calls us to remembrance. It calls us to remember that God never stopped working. That God is still building houses and guarding cities. <laughs> And while God may use us as labor hands and feet, at the end of the day and at the end of the work week, this is our Father's world. And long after we are gone from it, work will still go on. The things that we think we are most important for will still get done. Newsflash, it started before we arrived and it will continue long after we're gone you see it seems as if Solomon understood this already early in his life and you know that whole divine wisdom thing little kid gets all this wisdom and and when he dedicates the temple in first Kings chapter 8 and I think we've got this if we can bring it up on the screen when he dedicates the temple Solomon prays this prayer over the house but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. Regard your servant's prayer and his plea, O Lord my God, heeding the cry and the prayer your servant prays today, that your eyes may be open night and day towards this house, the place which you said my name shall be there. That you may heed the prayer that your servant prays towards this place. Hear the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray towards this place. Oh, hear in heaven your dwelling place. Heed and forgive. You see, Solomon in his great wisdom recognized that the temple could not actually contain God. <laughs> that the works of his hands would always be transcended by God's work and God himself even. The structure that he had built with his hands was more for human benefit than it was for God's benefit. I mean, look at the words of this prayer. God, I know that you'll never fit into this house, but at least answer the prayers of the people that pray here. Set your eyes upon us do the work, God, that only you can do. 
His prayer was that the human benefit of his work be looked after by the God who transcended the work itself. Perhaps this is why God was so hesitant, by the way, to settle down into a house when the Israelites or when the Hebrew children were coming out of Egypt. Instead, he chose to be in a tabernacle. Tabernacles were movable. They were flexible and fluid. The tabernacle meant that God could be with the Israelites at any place and any time. The tabernacle made room for God to be present wherever the people found themselves. God was with them. With the tabernacle, they didn't have to go on pilgrimage to God. God was on pilgrimage with them. In this model, God's providence was not for maintenance, but for movement. And, God, and movement means change. It means the continual tearing down and building up. Death and resurrection the good and the bad together is where God's work is found. God in the narrative of the Hebrew children is continually doing the messy work of building, watching, and providing. Making sure they have manna and water and a path to follow and a guide to watch over them. I doubt it needs to be said at this point, but this is a truth that must grip the heart of the church who claims to be on the Missio Dei, which is Latin for the mission of God. If we claim to be on the mission of God, then we must be careful to pay attention to the ways in which God works and moves through the people of God as the things they build work. And then the seasons where the things they build no longer work. The times where the things they build are celebrated. And the times where the things they built need to be grieved and lamented over. Whatever we lay our hands to as a church is for the benefit of humanity and for the purpose of making the invisible God visible in meaningful ways. But it is not about just us doing the work, nor is it our work alone. Church, this is God's work. And unless God does the work, whatever we do is meaningless. It is vain. It is God's work. And God transcends our structures. God transcends our budgets. God transcends our sweat equity even. God is in the business of movement. Not in the business of maintenance. And we will sing this song... In good times and in bad times. Unless the Lord, it is all in vain. 
When there's a house and when there's not, unless the Lord, it is all in vain. When we're in the city and when we're not, unless the Lord, it is all in vain. When we feel like we're in the promised land and when we feel like we're in the wilderness, unless the Lord, it is all in vain. When we see the future clearly and when we're not even sure if there is a future, unless the Lord, it is all in vain. Our other lectionary passages this morning uh, were from Ruth and from Matthew, or from Mark, excuse me, Mark 12. One is a story of women who work alongside God and see the fruit of it. If we were to preach from Ruth this morning, we would tell the story, the concluding passages of the Ruth narrative, which we started a little bit last week, but we would conclude that, and we would see how through Ruth's work in the fields, God is building up something. God is building a family which, by the way, is part of Psalm 127, this idea of a heritage to hand down. Children to pick up and to go forward with what God has already started in the people. And in Ruth's story, it's very important because we know that from Ruth comes David, and from David comes the Messiah. In the Ruth story, we have a narrative of women who live out this reality, that as they worked with their hands, God built something. In the other passage, however, we find the story of men who are working hard to maintain that which they have constructed. And as they work to maintain that which they have constructed, they destroy that which is most human. I want to read that passage. Mark chapter 12. As he taught, he said... Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to have the best seats in the synagogues and places of honor at banquets. They devour widows' houses. Notice that. They devour widows' houses for the sake of appearance. And for the sake of appearance, say long prayers. They will receive greater condemnation. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the crowd putting money into the treasury. Many rich people put in large sums. A poor widow came and put in two small copper coins worth a penny. Then he called his disciples and said to them, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the treasury. For all of them have contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had. All she had to live on. What you have here is a story of a group of religious elites who are collecting temple taxes from widows. Who according to Torah law were exempt In fact, according to Torah law, they were the ones that were supposed to be taken care of out of the temple treasury. 
And as much as we might think Jesus is only praising this woman for her faithfulness in giving, which certainly could be what is happening in this story, Jesus is also speaking a word of indictment against the religious elite because they have taken all that she has to live on and they have destroyed her house. In an effort to maintain their own house, they were willing to destroy those who they deemed less than themselves. You see, the work of God, whatever it is we do and whatever it is we call that, has never been about building structures for ourselves, but to make sure that those who don't have a house Get one. To make sure that those who don't have clothes on their back have them. Not to take so that we may build, but to build so that they may have. God is not concerned with our structures. Except for the way in which our structures provide benefit to the people that he loves. Unless the Lord, unless the Lord builds it, it is in vain. Unless the Lord watches after it, it is in vain. It is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. Eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives sleep to his beloved. Amen? Stand with me. Our musicians can come. Our servers can, in just a moment, I'll call you and you can go ahead and prepare yourselves to, to come down. We pray with me. Oh, God, I know I've said a lot of things this morning, Lord. Things that have just been, oh man. Things, have been, things that have just been really convicting my heart this week, but also providing so much hope in my heart this week. Because just the realization, God, that even though I'm privileged to be part of what you're doing here on the earth for my small little snippet of time, my lifetime, God, I get to be a part such a relief to know that ultimately, God, this is your doing. You are the master architect, God. You are the master architect. You are the, you are the great leader. You are the head of the church indeed, oh God. So God, help us. Help us this morning to realize the disconnect we make between our worship and our work. Convict us deeply, God, for the egotistical ways in which we think of ourselves as our sole providers, as the sole captains of our destiny. And call us now, Lord, to live in the rest that comes when we concede our ego 
to the truth that unless the Lord does it, it is all in vain. Let us find rest in that God. And when seasons come and when seasons go, when there's times of hope and when there's times of lament, let us continue to ascend your holy mountain in our hearts and in our minds with the words of ascent that you will indeed give us a hope and a tomorrow and a heritage even when we don't see it even when we don't know how you're still working God and you're still building and you haven't given up on what you started thank you Lord in Christ's name amen let's read the invitation together our servers can come and get ready if you're with us here this morning we invite you to receive communion everyone is invited Our table is open. If you're here this morning and you don't want to receive communion, that's fine. No judgment. We'll also have prayer partners on either side of the front in just a moment. And if you need prayer for anything, we invite you to come and our prayer partners will pray with you. Even if you don't receive communion, you can make your way to a prayer partner and we would love to have prayer with you this morning. Let's read the invitation together. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made ready for those who love him and those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little. You who have been here often and you who have not been here long. You who have tried to follow and you who have failed. Come, because it's the Lord who invites you and it's his will that those who want him should meet him here. Thank you again for joining us. We invite you to send your requests and stories to info at renovatuschurch.com and give by visiting our website, renovatuschurch.com. As we close every service at Renovatus, would you join me in praying the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.